Welcome to another episode of the Corrosion Journal interview series. My name is Sammy Miles, and I'm the Managing Editor-in-Chief of Corrosion Journal. Today, I'm excited to be joined by the editors of four journals for a roundtable discussion on corrosion research. We have Dr. Arian Moll, Co-Editor-in-Chief of Corrosion Science, Dr. Sana Virtanen, Technical Editor of the Corrosion Section of the Journal of the Electrochemical Society, Dr. Nick Berbalis, Co-Editor-in-Chief of Materials Degradation, and last but not least, Dr. John Scully, the Technical Editor-in-Chief of Corrosion Journal. Before we dive into today's topic, can you each tell our listeners a little about yourselves? Um, how about we go ahead and start with Arian? Okay, thank you very much, uh, Sammy, for uh, also this opportunity to uh, to discuss with you and, and, my, and my colleagues. So my name is uh, Arian Moll. I'm a husband to one, father of two, and um, I'm professor and vice chair of uh, uh, the material science and engineering uh, department at the Delft University of Technology in uh, the Netherlands. And I'm also scientific director of the so-called 40U high-tech materials uh, center in the Netherlands, which embraces the uh, material science and engineering disciplines across the different uh, technical universities in the Netherlands. And like you mentioned, besides, I'm also co-editor-in-chief of uh, the journal Corrosion Science. And Sana? Yes, hello, everybody. I'm also quite happy to be here. So thank you very much for the uh, for uh, for the invitation to join this event. So uh, I'm professor for corrosion at the University of Erlangen-Nürnberg in Germany. So uh, at the Department of Material Science and Engineering. And I've worked in the field of corrosion for more than 30 years, starting already while I was a master student uh, uh, in Finland at the Helsinki University of Technology. I've moved around uh, from uh, Finland to Switzerland to Germany, spent about like uh, one third of my life in each of these countries. And as I said, uh, during my more than 30 year uh, journey in corrosion science, I think I've been looking at extremely many different topics that have been uh, topical uh, or actual in, in different times. And, and now as a technical editor of corrosion section in the Journal of the Electrochemical Society, it's quite nice to follow up how the research is going now. And over to you, Nick. Hi there, Sammy, and thank you very much for having me join you today. Uh, I'm coming to you all the way from Melbourne, Australia, which happens to be my hometown. Uh, I'm a professor of engineering and the executive dean at Deakin University, uh, and I work at the interface of metallic materials and electrochemistry in an area that I like to call corrosion metallurgy, specifically working on systems like light alloys. Uh, I'm also the Editor-in-Chief of Materials Degradation, as you said. That's a Nature Partner Journal, which we launched in 2017 to be a little bit different and complementary. And again, so happy to be here today. Thank you. And lastly, John. Hello, everybody. Uh, good morning uh, in, in the United States here, and good evening uh, for some of you. Um, first, let me just acknowledge our, our visitors. Uh, we're really, really grateful and fortunate at, at Corrosion Journal to have uh, uh, the others with us, our, our, our guests are, are especially appreciated. Um, for me, I'm a professor, Charles Henderson, professor of material science and engineering at University of Virginia, and I co-direct the Center for Electrochemical Science and Engineering. Um, I was the former chair of the department from 2016 to 2023, uh, but now I'm happy to say I'm just a regular professor doing research and teaching. 
And uh, so I've done research in corrosion science um, since my graduate school days also, but I have some uh, experience uh, in Naval Ship Research and Development Center, uh, AT&T Bell Labs, and Sandia National Labs uh, before I went into academia. And so I've really appreciated that. That's, I think, enhanced my corrosion research to understand a little bit more about the, the, the practical side of things. And so uh, my editorial life, I was an associate editor of Corrosion Journal, you know, since the early 90s. And since 2012, I've been uh, technical editor-in-chief of Corrosion. And uh, thank you all once again for joining us. Each of you has served as editors on different journals for a number of years. So I wanted to start today by discussing what you're seeing in corrosion research and materials degradation currently. Are there any trends in what's being submitted and published? Okay, maybe I can get started here. So um, there's there's many different topics you need. Uh, the, the field of corrosion research, science and engineering is, is, is very wide, but I think some of the, the trends that we see are related to the fact that um, uh, we are uh, within the fourth paradigm in science of, of, of data-intensive scientific discoveries. Um, so that modeling of corrosion mechanisms and kinetics is, is at various time scales from, from instantaneous corrosion events to long-term surface life predictions and, and corrosion inhibition modeling, uh, including uh, through machine learning approaches. Uh, it's, it's really picking up uh, a pace rapidly, I think, yeah, over in, in recent uh, recent times. And, and I really think these are powerful techniques, but, but also feel that they should uh, go hand in hand uh, as far as possible with uh, uh, experimental or, or other types of evaluations to make sure that indeed we, we don't, do not spin out of control in, in, in that sense, that we, that we lose uh, ground with, uh, with, say, physical chemical phenomena uh, taking place uh, uh, during corrosion. And so what we would not like, there's a classical example, I would say, in, in correlating people drowning uh, and the number of ice cream sold, um, um, and, and that they, they, people try to draw a correlation between them. And the correlation is that they happen both at, at sunny days, um, but there is no, no causation, uh, really, uh, between the two, the two events. So uh, correlation doesn't always imply um, uh, a causation. So... And the same would, would go with corrosion activity, I would say. And therefore, I'm really happy with these new uh, computational powers, but, but hopefully also uh, we can stick to the, uh, well, I would say, uh, relatively traditional experimental theoretical uh, approaches uh, that we've taken on so far. So there's many other uh, things that we, uh, that, that we see, but, but I would also like to give the floor to my, my colleagues and then we can take it from there again. Yes, so uh, maybe I can also say something to this. So, of course, uh, the corrosion section of the Journal of the Electrochemical Society is much smaller. So we don't get that many submissions as I'm, I'm sure you get uh, in corrosion science. So uh, so, so uh, it's not that easy to see a very clear trend, maybe. But I also would agree that what we are seeing much more than maybe a little bit uh, in earlier days are computational approaches, different type of modeling approaches, and also including uh, machine learning and, and, and such things. What we also still see quite a lot, uh, so in addition to uh, uh, publications that are related to concrete corrosion challenges, for instance, uh, related to certain certain applications of materials, 
we still get a good number of submissions uh, that are discussing fundamental reaction mechanisms, for instance, related to passivity uh, or localized corrosion, uh, maybe less uh, uh, than with just, uh, let's say, what used to be a bigger trend maybe 20 years ago uh, for some, let's say, just simple iron or something like this. So these this phenomena may be discussed today more in view of uh, more advanced materials or more complex alloy systems, but uh, nevertheless, uh, there are still there's still quite nice work uh, done uh, also in these fundamental reaction mechanisms. And I agree also with Arian that, uh, of course, combination of both uh, high-level ex experimental research and uh, modeling approaches, everything is important and has to be put in good uh, uh, context with each other. Excellent. Well, look, I'm, I'm more than happy to follow up. I think you both framed it tremendously well. I'll sort of come in at the higher level and then maybe some specifics. But, you know, in a nutshell, I think there's no doubt that the sort of papers we see now are actually quite different to what we were seeing 10 years ago, uh, as Arian uh, noted quite emphatically in the rise of computation and modelling. I think, you know, I thought about this question a lot because it's something I, I look at quite intensely. And I think a uh, an astute observation is that a lot of the papers we now get have less interaction with potentiostats. You know, at some point there was a lot of electrochemical tests and so forth, but now it's quite diverse. Certainly computation is there, but advanced techniques um, that are drifting towards, you know, very expensive methodologies, but, but a lot of in situ techniques, whether it's scanning probe methods, uh, in situ methods like uh, spectroelectrochemistry, um, even uh, in situ methods that include things like atom probe. So the type of instrumentation being used in our field has evolved, as one would expect. Um, and I think really, you know, we're evolving towards the sort of holy grail of in situ analyses as well. Um, the substrates, you know, just to give you a specific answer, have been changing a little bit. So, I mean, you see some interaction in the journals now with perhaps 3D printed materials or high entropy alloys, um, and sometimes some new environments as well. So with the rise of solar cells, you're looking at photoelectrochemical effects and slightly different degradation methods as technologies advance. So yes, it is very different, but it is hard to tell. I think we're in a period of flux right now, but there's no doubt things are certainly evolving. Right. I thought that was an excellent overview. <laughs> Almost what could be added to that. That was wonderful. A um, couple of things I will say, just, you know, sort of on the grassroots sort of level or down, down at the bottom is that, uh, as mentioned by Nick, you know, kind of the substrates have changed. And so there are probably encrosion. We see uh, almost one paper a month now on additive manufacturing or 3D printing. Um, and been a growth in the in this uh, high entropy alloy, uh, multi-principle element alloy. And I want to put that in context a little bit. You know, look, the corrosion field um, really has a, a achieved a pretty good handle on pure elements. Um, and a lot is known on binary alloys. In fact, critical thresholds for compressivity and parting limits for dealloying. Uh, and, and then... You know, people have really studied binary alloys with a solvent uh, and a solute, major solute and a minor solute. Let's say you have a trace element or a minor element that changes corrosion behavior. So that's come along very nicely, but that's about really where it stops. And so when you talk about high entropy alloys with equal atomic, you know, four or five 
equiatomic or maybe not equiatomic elements. Uh, there really is very little known. And, it, and actually, speaking of the computational part, it's quite a challenge for not only the experimental part, you have to use the spectroelectrochemistry, as Nick mentioned, but uh, in terms of computations, it's hard to do. Let me just give one example, say for ordering, if you're interested in the effect of ordering, which has some uh, significant effects on corrosion, even changes the critical concentration for passivity. Um, and we don't really have a description of what's called the warren colley parameter, uh, which is a, a measure of uh, randomness or versus order uh, for how to do that with multi-elements. You know, it really only can be done fairly and computationally. And so there are some real challenges in going forward. Um, and that's just one area. I would say also, again, at the, at the, at the more local level, not at a high level, as I think you're seeing uh, around the world because of the, the in intense interest in energy and clean, abundant, renewable energy, you're seeing um, a lot of papers emerging uh, in corrosion in, in, in my colleagues' journals on, on Gen 4 nuclear reactors. And what that means is uh, corrosion studies in molten salt. So we've seen uh, growth in molten salt. I wouldn't say we have one per month, but I'd probably say uh, corrosion has a paper on molten salts, uh, corrosion once every other month. And it's interesting because I think the molten salt corrosion, because of the, there's always like a, a constituency or, or an inner group that works on everything. Even in copper corrosion, I noticed was, you know, some of the copper, uh, the countries that, mine copper like Chile, but there's there's more concentration of the corrosion researchers. But I, I would just say that there's it seems that the molten salt corrosion um, is lagging. Some of the electrochemistry, which as Nick mentioned also is matured, you know, is, is not that mature for molten salts. And it um, creates, um, you know, some interesting differences to consider. Um, one thing is there's gonna be, I think there'll be a growth in, and I won't cover what everyone else cover, which is, the data informatics is certainly going to be a big thing. And some people, I think it's flipped now where people will do modeling and maybe data informatics before they do the experiment. You know, before it used to be you do the experiment, and then you do the modeling once you have the experiments done. But I think the next generation of corrosion science, that'll be that'll be reversed, actually. And so I think I'll stop there. I have one more thing to say though, is that there have been a number of centers in the US emerging in harsh environments. And so are harsh applications of materials. And, and by this is not, I, I usually think of corrosion naturally, that when we harsh, it must be chemically harsh, but or temperature harsh, but there's other ways to be harsh uh, besides radiation, temperature, usual things like this. So there's a, a harsh environments in terms of environmental extremes, like a rocket motor that goes from cryogenic temperatures to a thousand degrees centigrade in one minute or less, 10 seconds. And so those are, those are challenges that I'd like to see in corrosion, some of these uh, harsh, um, materials and environment centers have cropped up, but I don't know if there's a major one in the in the corrosion field um, that would be, be exciting. Uh, and, and I'll stop there, but just, just consider that you can take uh, like an organic solvent, you can take a metal and uh, it can literally corrode a million times faster um, in, in a depassivating environment like that compared to one that has the passive foam in an aqueous environment, a million times. And you know, other fields of material science they argue that, wow, you know, we've created this magnet with these great properties, but they're looking at a factor of 5x or 10x. And just want to remind people that in corrosion, we can do some th fairly routine things that aren't that extravagant and end up with a 10 to 6 difference in reaction rate. So uh, there are exciting, exciting frontiers. Thanks again.
may may I add something very small to this, John? Because I was interested that you mentioned the uh, corrosion in molten salts, because of course there's uh, this increasing research uh, activities due to their uh, generation four type of reactors, uh, nuclear power plants like molten salt reactor reactors. But there's another uh, driving force which I'm seeing also in this field uh, in corrosion of molten salts, and this is the interest of using molten. Uh, salt-based systems for energy storage in uh, solar power plants. So it's from both sides or many sides of energy technologies that such new type of environments come uh, into play. And of course, these environments are then very challenging for the uh, metallic materials. So indeed, we are also seeing this in our journal, uh, more uh, more research in this field. And I, I think this corrosion in molten salts, uh, one thing what you mentioned is... Uh, very very nice in research uh, like method uh, methodologies also how to do ex electrochemical experiments and uh, in such kind of uh, environments and and for me it's also interesting from the point of view that it's somehow uh, combining a little bit uh, issues of maybe high temperature corrosion and then aqueous corrosion because we are still seeing of course electrochemical reactions happening uh, just uh, under quite uh, High, relatively high temperatures and, and 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 the research questions are highly interesting there. A couple of you have touched on this in your answers already. Um, I know Nick mentioned potentiostats, but really how do all these different topics you'll mention differ from what we were seeing five to 10 years ago in the research? Um, what did research used to kind of focus on more? Um, and really why is that, if there is a change, why is that evolving? Yeah, whoever think, wants to take it. Well, yeah, I think one of the, the exciting times we are amidst in, I think, is, is the energy and materials transition period, which um, so driven by the energy and materials requirements, um, well, have enabled also deliberate funding uh, in that sense for corrosion-related research, yeah, or, or broader than that, material science and engineering as a whole. I think as a community, we have a big role to play uh, there also for, for the future, because without material science and engineering and corrosion uh, research. Uh, the, the new structures and products needed for, for making it all happen will, will be just, well, uh, virtually impossible uh, to do. So uh, it, it, our community will become more and more uh, leading and, and driving, I think, the, the energy transition, the materials transition there. And, and we've picked the low-hanging fruit there in terms of, of, of energy and material sourcing. and. We need to go deeper, higher, further, um, more uh, other types of materials need to be sourced, uh, which all comes, in, and, and also the colleagues have touched upon that in answering the previous questions. We are dealing with more hostile environments these days than, than maybe in the, in the past also. So I would like to think that indeed our, our uh, say, uh, discipline, research discipline, is, is, is an ongoing science, at least for the near future, many decades to, to come. And I like to think an everlasting uh, craft for uh, for future scientists and engineers. So I think we have an important role to play at the forefront of this uh, exciting times of, of materials and, and energy transition. So Adrian, that was a really good synopsis. And I think picking up on John's point before about you know nuclear and Senna's point before about molten salts, I'd also mentioned photoelectrochemical effects, but I think you've summed it up nicely where the energy transition is going to pose different material environment scenarios 
we're starting to see that and we know that the energy transition is coming it's coming at different speeds for different countries but yeah concentrated solar power is going to be a very important one which is both high temperature and corrosive molten salts of course the other one is post lithium batteries right so um things like molten sodium and how that reacts with it, the vessels in which uh you know it's contained and so forth so certainly i think we're going to see a lot of action around the energy transition area and never before seen materials environment combinations that we're going to have to come to terms with and i think we will see this also if hydrogen economy is uh, getting more and more all this green hydrogen uh, green hydrogen uh, issues uh, so the more we will uh, move into hydrogen systems of course uh, there are more and more metallic materials encountering hydrogen and of course then hydrogen interactions with materials will certainly be also of interest and uh, in view of like, like how maybe things have been changing the last 10 years so of course uh, certain drivers for corrosion research of course always have been related to real corrosion challenges what are happening like uh, when we have new technologies evolving and so on for it, and and also uh, often maybe new type of materials have, are being developed and often in at least what i see here for instance in our department for instance there's a maybe a, a trend to to develop let's say some high um, high strength high strength alloy high strength alloys for instance with different means microstructure chemical composition changes and whatever and then Maybe these materials have been optimized uh, uh, in view of their mechanical properties. And then we come into play and sometimes we just have to tell our colleagues, well, maybe it is very good from a mechanical properties point of view, but many of the things they have been uh, like, like doing with these new type of alloys are actually really, really bad for corrosion resistance. So uh, all the materials development, it always, of course, involves also uh, research on corrosion mechanisms of these new materials. Another thing, what is, of course, also what we have already mentioned many times, what is also uh, driving corrosion research is that we can, uh, so new materials, new environments for even conventional materials. And then uh, uh, additionally, of course, uh, as also mentioned by many of you already, uh, new type of techniques to look at uh, corrosion reactions in more detail. So these high resolution in situ techniques combining maybe uh, electrochemistry and some, for instance, spectroscopy and so on. But I also think that this uh, whole energy discussion is something that is today, but already like previously, it has been extremely uh, strongly driving uh, many developments in material science. And in corrosion, what we saw, for instance, of course, in the last 10 or 15 years was this huge boom on corrosion of magnesium alloys. And it all started uh, due to the fact that uh, we wanted to exploit or material scientists, scientists wanted to exploit the low density of magnesium alloys. So to use magnesium alloys more and more in transportation. Of course, again, uh, uh, it, it would be good for saving CO2 uh, production on, and so on. And then, of course, magnesium alloys are really, really interesting for corrosion research because magnesium is the most reactive or active uh, metal that we have. So there's a lot to do for corrosion research. On top of that, it turned out that magnesium dissolution mechanisms are quite complex, as many of us know. So there were all these uh, really intensive scientific discussions on their uh, uh, corrosion mechanisms. And 
even on top of that uh, came the second boost for magnesium alloys, which was the use or possible use of magnesium alloys for biomedical implants, for temporary implants that would be in place only for the time of healing, where corrosion is desired, but still needs to be understood and controlled. So uh, this was uh, a really good example on how interest to use uh, some materials uh, in technological applications uh, is only, I mean, it, it definitely leads also to the request to understand the corrosion behavior of these materials. So it's not enough to say that, for instance, in the biodegradable uh, uh, materials field, yes, these alloys will corrode, but it's not sufficient to say they will corrode. We need to be able to control the corrosion behavior of these materials. Wow, you guys, great discussion. Uh, you know, what what could I add? I think we're in, in extreme, speaking of extreme environments, extreme extreme uh, agreement on some of these things. Just uh, one more word on the techniques though, since that's um, partly uh, one of the things we mentioned is that when I first went to work for the Navy, uh, most of the corrosion studies were not electrochemical. They were actually um, what I would call cook and look or, or, or look and see type studies where you do almost metallographic forensic analysis afterwards and you know metallurgical cross-sectioning and things like that. and. Then that got even more advanced with focused ion beam sectioning. Um, but we're, we're really sort of in the post-electrochemistry era, although electrochemistry will always play a huge role since corrosion's uh, largely an electrochemical process. And, um, you know, so th there's more and more chance for multimodal techniques. And uh, instead of just repeating, I want to make a distinct point here is that, uh, that it, it, and I think local probes were mentioned. So as all as these techniques came online, the corrosion field was actually pretty good at very quickly adopting and embracing these and trying these new techniques. And so it's really been exciting in, in all the journals represented here, but also elsewhere, where uh, this multimodal investigation has been, has really, um, you know, you know, sort of shown a lot of light on these complex phenomena. And I want to remind people that, uh, you know, absolute reaction rate theory, when it was developed, uh, just in chemistry, in, you know, around even, you know, in the 20s, I mean, in 1916, uh, that quickly by, probably by the 1920s, the corrosion community had embraced it and used it to explain. And so Toffel, the Toffel law, you know, that was, that was discovered in like 1905, but it wasn't explained until absolute reaction rate theory. And that was really pretty quickly, only a few years after um, you know, the chemical theories had been developed. And so corrosion field has been pretty pretty uh, agile on its feet to adopt to these new um, techniques and, and new theories and applying it to, to corrosion. And then just one last thing on materials is I certainly agree with my colleagues on the lightweight materials, but it's been interesting that there, there are some renaissances in some areas. Uh, people have mentioned green hydrogen and already at the, at the um, corrosion, the, the AMP meeting, um, the uh, the scientists may not be aware of it, but a lot of the people that are concerned technologically with green hydrogen, for instance, coating companies that might coat a pipeline that carries hydrogen, they were there and they were um, attending the symposium, listening carefully to old mainstay symposia um, like hydrogen brittleman. And so hydrogen brittleman seeing a real renaissance um, because of green hydrogen, but also on automotive and light weighting. Light weighting is not just for aluminum and for magnesium. There's light weighting uh, that's used by using high strength steels. But then when they use high strength steels in the new Mercedes Benz, 
um, they have to be concerned with hydrogen brittleman once again. So there's a renaissance in hydrogen brittleman just so you can get away with uh, having a very thin part because it's such a high strength uh, and that presents one of the trade-offs. So yes, there's, there's constant activity uh, in the corrosion field uh, as each one of these issues emerges. Thank you all. Um, those are some great insights. Um, we're coming up on time. So does anybody have any final thoughts before we wrap up for today's episode? Maybe I can just have a little thumbs up needs for the journal uh, and needs uh, corrosion, but also the other journals that we uh, are, are representing, because I think it's it, it's it's very important that we uh, open up indeed our frontiers of, of, of science research to uh, to the wide and global research community, but also the the non scientists. I think in the sense that they understand the uh, the value and the added. Yeah, the added insights that we can provide with our research to um, uh, to the society as a whole. So, indeed, a, a thumbs up for uh, for corrosion and also the other journals uh, that we are um, that we are uh, having in our community, because I don't think it's to be underestimated. I think the role that that, that you all play, and therefore, indeed, it's also the reason that we take our responsibilities, uh, all, all of us here around the uh, the, the podcast table. Uh, very serious and try to serve the community, the author community, the reviewer community, the reader community, but also the wider society uh, to the best of our ability. So uh, thumbs up for, for everybody here. Yeah, well said. Well said, Adrian. And uh, uh, this is a great initiative from Corrosion Journal, who's a journal that's been leading the way for a very, very long time, right? So uh, so it's the, it's the old one, but not ready to retire at any point. Look, one thing I did maybe just want to mention, because we have the luxury of talking about it, is we've been talking a lot about what's in our journals, but we haven't, I guess, quickly mentioned what goes on behind the scenes or even outside of the journals. But one point that I wanted to make is our community is stronger when we share our stories, we share our messages, and we publish our papers, whether they're big, short, small reviews. And certainly since the pandemic, I think it's universal across the journals and scientific journals that the number of paper submissions is actually decreasing, not increasing. And uh, I just like to remind people that, you know, in our area, it's really important to share your stories. And I hope we can see a number of submissions um, coming forth to all of the journals represented here, because I think they're quite complementary in what they're seeking to achieve and the markets that they're seeking to achieve. So let's keep the dialogue going through the publications, which are the ones that, that keep us all engaged. Well said. Sana or John, did y'all have anything else? Because if, if not, I will go ahead and wrap us up. I mean, on my part, I would like to thank our, our guests again for a really uh, stimulating discussion uh, that hit a lot of good points. And, and I'm sure all of us, it's actually particularly heartwarming to see that we really could go on for quite a while about some of these exciting new things. And so when I look at young people getting entering the field, I'm, I'm almost like, wow, you know, I wish I was doing it over again now because it, 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 it's very exciting, uh, some of the developments. And it seems to be the pace uh, is picking up. And, you know, we've hit upon a couple of so many things that are crucial. And I think it's probably a pretty fair uh, snapshot of where the correction field is right now. And I want to thank everybody for doing such a brilliant job with this. Um, so let me thank on our on my behalf. Let me thank the panel. Excellent. Um, if anybody wanted to follow up with you later, what's the best way for them to get in touch? 
Um, by any means, I would say. Um, I, I like personal uh, interactions, so uh, it would be nice if you uh, tap me on the shoulder or uh, and, and talk to me uh, at, at conference that hopefully we'll meet and, and see each other again. Um, it's always a pleasure. I think uh, while we are very much helped with the, uh, the online um, uh, ways of communication, I think it's uh, persons that uh, that interact and do research amongst each other. So please reach out to me when I'm when, when you see me uh, uh, in, in the wild. I would say, um, but otherwise, and you drop me an email uh, uh, g.m.c.mol at udelf.nl would be would be very good and uh, I'm happy to interact with uh, with the community. Yes, also in in my my case, uh, email of course. Uh, is the easiest way, uh, and uh, if you don't know uh, my email address, you just need to uh, find uh, how to spell my first name, uh, last name, last name. Sorry, so Google my last name and and Erlangen, and then you will find my email address, as there is no other Virtanen in Erlangen. So uh, and otherwise, as as uh, the same as Arian, if you uh, meet me at any conference, just come and say hello, and we can talk whatever you want to talk about. Excellent. Look, I'll go a step further. If you happen to find yourself in the most southern part of Australia, I will buy you a coffee and we can talk about corrosion because I don't get many visitors here. So it's an open invite. But in addition to email, I do love the social media, as I know some of the other panelists do here as well. So that's also another way to reach out and continue to share stories, whether it's through direct messages or through a, a broader dialogue where we can actually engage you know, more than one person in things that are important. Right. And for my case, likewise, I'm JRS8D, as in Delta, at Virginia.edu. But also, please remember that in addition to uh, seeing each other at conferences or communicating through social media, that Charlottesville is just a short two hours from Washington, D.C. So should you be traveling through Washington, D.C., we always welcome and cherish uh, visitors here in Charlottesville. Wonderful. So with that, um, I want to let all of our listeners know that we are going to be continuing our conversation with these this group of editors next month. Um, next month, we're going to focus more on the future of corrosion research. And with that, I'm Sammy Miles. I'm here with Ariane Mull, Asana Virtanen, Nick Berbalis, and John Scully. And thanks for listening to another episode of the Corrosion Journal's interview series. Remember, you can subscribe to AMP Podcasts if you haven't already on Apple, Google, Spotify, and all the major distributors. If you want to learn about the journal, make sure to visit corrosionjournal.org, and you can find all episodes of AMP Podcasts on amp.org. That's A-M-P-P dot O-R-G. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>